Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. It's 2022, and ringing in the new year also means ringing in the third year of the pandemic. As the Omicron surge continues, COVID case counts continue to hit record highs here in Illinois and across the country. We've also got news on boosters, COVID quarantine guidelines, and much more. Dr. Mia Teramina is an infectious disease specialist from Dooley Health and Care, and she joins us now with everything that you need to know about the pandemic. Hi, Dr. Teramina. Hey, Sasha. Happy New Year. How did your holiday season go? Well, boy, oh boy, I actually worked this weekend, so um, it it was a busy one, probably one of the busiest of my career. So there are patients uh, everywhere waiting for beds, waiting to be seen, lots of patients that are sick with COVID, lots of patients that are sick with other things, but just a busy weekend in general. How did you work to keep it COVID safe within your family over the last couple weeks? Trying to really employ those layered mitigation strategies, I think for for folks that were able to kind of, if they gathered over Christmas to test before the new year, they probably had uh, every every measure available in order to keep their family safe. But no doubt about it, I'm definitely getting phone calls from extended family with mild cold-like symptoms that in all probability uh, could be COVID at this point. So your biggest concerns right now? My biggest concerns right now is the fact that there are going to be so many people that have very mild symptoms, and in all probability, it's COVID until proven otherwise. I think there are a lot of people that have been traveling, meeting, gathering, and maybe they just have some sniffles, a sore throat, just something mild, and they think this can't possibly be COVID. I'm vaccinated. I feel okay otherwise. It probably is COVID, and and everyone with any symptom out of an abundance of caution really should be tested right now. Yeah, I'm hearing the term omicold a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's very cold-like, but, you know, I've almost said to some patients recently, there's there's no more colds. Right now, at this moment in time, if you've got a cold, it's COVID until proven otherwise. And, you know, if you can't get easy access to testing, the next best bet would be to, you know, isolate yourself, stay home if you're not feeling well, even if they're very mild symptoms, keep yourself masked when you're around other people. And, you know, until you're able to kind of get better and and get tested, if you're able to do so to really figure out what's going on. So where do we stand right now? What are the numbers as far as Illinois and COVID cases? Uh, They just keep going up and they're going to keep going up, you know, to astronomically high levels for the next several weeks. Now, again, a lot of these cases are going to be mild, but they still very much are positive COVID cases that need to be recorded. We're seeing positivity rates that are in the mid-teens and they're going to keep climbing for a while here. Nationwide, as predicted, we have hundreds of thousands of new cases every day. Today, the Food and Drug Administration announced that it's it's now allowing Pfizer booster shots for kids as young as 12. What do you think about that move? So initially, when it came to doing booster shots for these teenagers, we had to look at, you know, their antibody fall off and how quickly antibodies fall off in these otherwise healthy teens. Weigh the fact that teens are the least likely to have, you know, significant and severe COVID outcomes and also being uh, attentive to the fact that there could be those rare myocarditis side effects. So we needed all that data to kind of, you know, have benefits far outweigh the risks, but with how contagious 
Omicron is, how fast it's spreading, and the fact that, you know, even mild symptoms can take a child out of school for 10 days, you know, that's something that we know that antibodies is going to give that additional layer of protection. And we are all, of course, on edge right now as, as we currently live through this uh, this surge. Um, curious about your reaction, Dr. Teramina, to the CDC's most recent recommendation uh, to cut down the quarantine period. They've cut it down from 10 days to five days. So this is a tough one. They, they, everything keeps changing for us. I understand and appreciate critical industries like healthcare, where we have numerous people that are testing positive on a day-to-day basis, and we need to have our frontline workers return to work. I think in the context of someone who's fully vaccinated and boosted and asymptomatic, thinking about a return as soon as five days is very reasonable. I would have appreciated if they would have added a testing requirement, but we're up against the fact that tests are not necessarily easily accessible for all. So we need to focus really on those symptoms. I would say that having the ability to go back as soon as five days does not mean that it's mandatory to go back after five days. If you're truly not feeling well, if your symptoms are not dramatically improved or non-existent, If you have any fevers at all, you need to continue staying home. You should not be going back after five days simply because there is guidance that says you can. We Mm -hmm. have to kind of sort through that. To the extent that you can get a test on day five, six, seven to clear yourself, that would be an extra layer of mitigation and really a good strategy. We may indeed see the CDC backpedal a little bit this week on, you know, that implementation of maybe having uh, a negative test in addition to at least five days passed before we can get back out there. You know, a good question here from our executive producer, Dan Tucker. He says uh, U.S. COVID case numbers are at their highest level yet, but wondering if they could be an undercount because most of the people that we know, just anecdotally, they've tested positive on at-home tests and those wouldn't be counted. Yeah, we knew um, an epidemiologist predicted that we could have a point where there were more than a million positives per day in the United States. We know we have hundreds of thousands of positive cases per day uh, being recorded at present, but it is an undercount because we just don't have the PCR test availability to get every single person with every single symptom tested. There's a tremendous number of at-home COVID tests that are returning positive. And for those listening who want to know what to do with that information, it's not something that's reported to the health department per se, but it's important for your doctor to know, to at least document in the chart that you've had this COVID test return positive, to speak with you about any symptoms you're having, to see if you qualify for any therapeutics, Mm -hmm. or if you need any additional testing. So definitely notify your provider if you have an at-home COVID test that's positive. If you have a test return positive, presume that is a true positive. So don't think, oh, it can't be. It's just a mild cold. I can't believe that test came back positive. Treat it as a true positive. Isolate yourself and speak with your physician. People were reporting a major shortage of COVID tests. Why is that happening, doctor? And when can folks in the Chicago area expect to find more tests available? Oh, boy, I hope we have more tests available with each passing day. So I think there's a lot of scenarios that led to the the shortage of testing. I think there are people that genuinely wanted to have some on hand. Um, Supplies are limited in terms of being able to stockpile them, them, so to speak. And 
I, I think that, you know, we just have never throughout this entire pandemic had enough availability for rapid testing and home testing. That's something that the administration is really trying to work on as we head into 2022 here to get another half a billion tests available. And we should be able to get online, request them, have them sent to our house for free. That won't happen overnight, uh, but it will start happening. And thankfully, a lot of social media channels have been pretty good about posting, you know, hey, there's some available at this location, two per person. And, you know, you can kind of navigate and do a little bit of groundwork and find where these tests are available. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Laura in North Center digs into the testing debacle a little bit more. Let's listen to her question. In the past day, I've learned of three different people close to us receiving positive home tests and positive rapid antigen tests, but then receiving negative PCR tests. I'm just curious about these discrepancies and wondered if you had any more information. PCR, is that still the gold standard for COVID testing? You know, the PCR testing is something that in many ways is the gold standard. But if you have somebody who is testing because they're symptomatic and they're having some cold symptoms, any any test that returns positive needs to be regarded as a true positive even if a subsequent PCR is negative. There's a possibility of you know, technique errors and all kinds of different things that can come into play. Now, if this is just a random screen, you haven't had a close contact with anybody, you haven't had any symptoms whatsoever, and you're just doing an antigen test and it happens to come back positive, and then you have a PCR test that subsequently comes back negative, we can have a conversation on a case-by-case basis mm-hmm. if you may have had a false positive. But for all intents and purposes, if you're getting positive tests, if they're rapids, if they're antigens, whatever that positive test is, especially in the context of a high-risk encounter or in symptoms, you should definitely regard that as a true positive and isolate as such. Uh, Dr. Teramina, Dr. Fauci, who we know is uh, the nation's top infectious disease specialist, he says that the better way to track the Omicron variant uh, and its impact is to actually look at the growing hospitalizations as opposed to the total number of COVID cases. What do you think? Well, I think that the the hospitalizations are going up as well, not necessarily in as dramatic a fashion as we've seen with some of the more virulent strains like Delta. You know, the fact of the matter is the hospitals are stretched very thin right now. Uh, there are patients that, that had to sit in emergency room beds for 24, 48 hours with just no room at the inn. Um, and the question becomes, and we're hearing that this is so mild in many ways, why are there so many people in the hospital? Because it's a numbers game. And when we're infecting so many more people, we are indeed going to infect people who are more vulnerable to having a more severe illness. Maybe they won't need or require intensive care stays, but they might need a little help in the hospital with some oxygen, supportive care measures, steroids, and other antivirals. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of what we're seeing right now. It still is, by far and away, those who are unvaccinated that are requiring the most help. But we do see breakthrough cases in fully vaccinated and in vaccinated and boosted individuals that, again, still need a little bit of help. So, you know, keeping our eye on those hospitalizations that may lag a little bit behind our case numbers, those hospitalization numbers are going to go up as well. I know dozens of people who have uh, been hit with Omicron over the last two, three weeks, and the three I know who were hospitalized are all unvaccinated. So you're saying there's no coincidence there? 
I know. And that That's the conversation that we've just had so much and so many times over, you know, weeks and months for, for especially since uh, Omicron has come around. Um, and that's what we're going to continue to see. Uh, by far and away, people who need the most help are people who are unvaccinated, uh, followed shortly by those who are vaccinated but have lots of medical comorbidities. If you're eligible for a booster, make sure you go and get that booster. There is no need to wait. Get your booster shots. Fill up that cup of antibodies to try and do the best you can yeah. to, to prevent a breakthrough infection. And we should all be on high alert for COVID, right, even if we are vaccinated and boosted. Absolutely. If you're fully vaccinated and boosted and you have what seems like a little stuffy nose, sore throat, and just regular cold symptoms that would typically happen at this time of year, Please isolate yourself. Don't go to work. Don't go into public places without a mask. And go ahead and get yourself tested as soon as you're able to do so because these cold symptoms very well could be COVID and that mild cold that you have may spread to someone who's vulnerable and lead to a poorer outcome. Initially, health officials saw this variant as hitting hard and fast based on data that was coming out of South Africa where Omicron was first detected. Based on what you've seen up until now, doctor, do you think that that pattern is going to continue? Well, we've definitely seen the hard part. I'd like to see the fast part <laughs> as soon as possible. Um, right. I do think that's what's going to happen. I think that the infectivity rate in the number of people that are going to be infected in the weeks to come is going to effectively yield uh, just hundreds and thousands of people in various areas walking around essentially with COVID antibodies, with Omicron antibodies. And for a period of time, there's going to be a, a significant downturn, hopefully by the end of this month into February, where we start to see these numbers come way down. And then we will have, again, that moment of breathing room, whether it lasts for a long time or whether it lasts until another variant springs up, we'll have to see. But it gives us that opportunity to, to hopefully take a deep breath again and, and you know, see the numbers come way down. At the same time, we are seeing healthcare workers facing serious burnout. How do you see that growing or changing, considering that the CDC is now recommending to cut the previous quarantine time in half? Yeah. Well, I, I think that, that it's a double-edged sword because taking a burned-out healthcare worker who has a breakthrough infection and, um, you know, telling them that they can now come home in five days, I think in some ways it contributes to the burnout, the fatigue that healthcare workers are already experiencing by potentially going back to work sooner than their body really wants them to, but also for individuals who have been sidelined previously for 10-plus days uh, with, with guidelines the way they were when they felt completely healthy, well, and wanting to get back to work when they in all probability are not contagious or very, very minimal chances of being contagious, especially wearing that N95 mask uh, during their workday. Yeah. I think that there is some benefit to getting those who are well and asymptomatic back to the front lines to try and relieve some of their partners and associates who are burning the candle at both ends. We're doing the best we can. Um, we're all tired, um, but we're not going to stop doing this until we really get to the other side of this thing yeah. once and for all. It's important work. And, and I hate to say this, but we are starting, Dr. Teramina, what could be year three of this pandemic. So what would you like to see health and public officials do differently to tackle COVID this year? I think the best mitigation strategies that we're going to have as we head into this year and try to really maintain some semblance of normalcy for everybody, it's going to be increased access to testing. Ideally, everyone should be able to test 
multiple times in a week if they want to. And to be able to have those tests be very low cost or free and very easily and readily accessible, that's going to be an appropriate layer of mitigation. I think the continued effort to vaccinate and boost and to be very much attentive to when booster doses may be needed is going to be a big part of it, too, when you're eligible for a booster to go ahead and get boosted. I think that's going to be a big deal. We also are just about to get some of these oral antivirals distributed. We haven't received any of them in Illinois just yet, but I think that some of the oral antivirals, I hate to say game changer, but I'm very optimistic that we will dramatically decrease the need for hospitalization by having an oral option available for our mm -hmm. outpatients. So I'm hoping that that begets a really favorable trend as we head into 2022. Oral option. How soon? Do you think maybe a couple of months, a couple of weeks? Oh, I'm hoping sooner than that. Okay. They're, they're here. We only have 68,000 treatment doses in the U.S. at the moment, and those have to be spread throughout all the states. So we're waiting for an allocation. But once we get um, you know, th that ball rolling, our, our folks at Pfizer have said that they are optimistic they can generate many, many more treatment courses as the year progresses. Gotcha. Well, I'll ask you about it next time. That's Dr. Mia Taramina, an infectious disease specialist with Dooley Health and Care. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for today's Reset. Keeping the news straight on COVID-19 can be a challenge, but take heart. We are here to help. Stay informed by subscribing to this podcast. And please give us a rating. It helps other listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.